Hi there, before we start, if you're new to our show, thank you so much for tuning into our program and we hope you'll stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragement. You really help this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of the people who look like us and as women and people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple and Google or Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support us, please head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation, which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. Hey all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are back, back, back with our first, latest episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. Back, back, back. Um, because last week we had a little break due to me. Yeah. How are you recovering? Yeah, I, so I had like um, basically the basic flu. I still haven't had COVID. Oh, he's still yeah. having a COVID. I think my we're, the, we're the one I'm, of the rare ones who hasn't Oh, wait, had have COVID. you not had it either? No, I haven't, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, we three are the only. And, and what about your husband? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband he's and, had it? Oh, okay. and Aya had it. And yeah. I was isolating with them, but I guess maybe just constantly wearing a mask and, you know, cleaning yeah. all the time. Well, kept me I don't away know. From yeah, your, your, your OCD ness probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, when, when my part, like, last a few weekends ago, I, throw, I threw a birthday party, surprise party for my f- partner. And then mm-hmm. when we hung out with their friends, there was this other couple who also didn't have children. And she said, oh, yeah, we're, like, the only people who don't have COVID because, you know, we don't have kids. Yeah, that's I was like, a big well, aspect, I think. Yeah, but yeah. you have kids and you you still have. I was lucky enough, you know, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a. But anyway, I um basically had just a basic cold and uh, and uh, yeah, it took me about eight days. To, I mean, even now I'm still a bit snotty, <laughs> so it's yeah, and I haven't had any kind of dramatic, um, severe medications. But mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I don't know how you feel, Helen. But the older I get, it certainly takes my body much much longer to get better yeah yeah i feel the same as well i think that that's why i'm trying my best and not to catch anything now you know yeah. when there's a vaccine came out and i just quickly go and get it because i just can't afford <laughs> to feel shit you know yeah. and trying to keep up it's on top of everything as well work and house and family yeah. and just yeah the society just demands more of a woman. You know? Do you know what I was thinking? I know. I was thinking because like, we had our Women's Agenda um, yes. Leadership Awards last week as well. Uh-huh. And this is how I generally feel about dressing up. Uh-huh. Um, from a t- scale of 1 to 10 in terms of excitement, it's like minus 5. <laughs> yes. However, like um, when it comes to, I guess, an event like for my organisation and who I absolutely like enjoy working for mm-hmm. and I love the people I work for, like I, I was a bit perked up for it. Like yes. and the night before I was like trying out different outfits because oh, I was nice. like, ooh, mm-hmm. I, I want I want to wear this suit or whatever. But anyway, the, the um, on the day I ended up just wearing the most basic basic stuff I wear all the time like the most basic kind of piece that any kind of normal like I, I was probably even un- underdressed in terms of what you'd see if you walk down to an the streets of C- the CBD yeah. um like uh, like I think that day I because our awards was in the city 
I had to do the agonizing um, task of walking through um, Sydney CBD, which I just absolutely abhor, abhor because I hate the city. Because, you know, listeners would know I hate suits. I hate people who wear suits and I don't like just corporate culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, seriously, every single woman I pass is, like, in high heels. Their hair looked like it just had been blown dried professionally. <laughs> the, every, the nails are properly done. Uh-huh. They're, like, immaculately – they all have fake eyelashes. Yeah, they have perfect makeup. makeup. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it just exhausts me. So, anyway, I was, like, very underdressed compared to even these women who do this, you know, dress up every, every day. Every day, yeah. Yeah, but, but I was thinking – um. Because like the reason why I I kind of decided not to put on any makeup because and um, because for the awards was because you know I was like blowing my nose heavily because I still oh, kind yeah. of had a cold. You would just smudge your makeup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and I was like, how do people in Hollywood do it? You know, like how do people in Hollywood like if they have a cold, how do they just like? <gasps> do they just like have some sort of special medicine? I just feel like they take stops them from tons of medicine to keep their face. To a standard requirement for the cameras, I guess. Right, yeah. Because, like, I really couldn't stop the, um... Like, my nose was just, like... I needed to blow it every, like, every half And you hour. still went. Oh, I know, I know. I should have been arrested, shouldn't I? I know. I, like, I, I kind of... I kind of thought I shouldn't go because, like, it's now completely uncouth to go rock up at work. With a bit with, of like, symptoms. any kind of symptoms yeah. at all. But, like, because we have such a small team, I felt like... Um, well, I, for, for one, I really just wanted to go. I really wanted to be there. And secondly, um, um, I felt bad if I didn't go. And like, um, it's a once, like it's a once in a year thing. Like we mm. never, we, we, this, these awards things are, are very, um, it's a big event in our calendar. Anyway, I'm talking too much about the other, my, you know, my day job <laughs> uh, on this podcast. I'd rather talk about just, you know, my, my life outside of that. But um, yeah, it got me thinking, like you know, how Hollywood people do you do do it, you know. But I yeah. think you're right. They probably just like just like female athletes, they take the pill so they don't um, they don't have periods during their com- competition days, right? Yeah, but also they are often like celebrities and athletes. They will be like the type of people that are really disciplined and probably very isolated. I I'm assuming mm. some people who are very disciplined and maybe very isolated. Point. From Very good point. the rest of the society, so they're less likely to catch anything. I'm guessing Colds, yeah, you're yeah. getting sick, that is or they'll so be true. looked after by this top tier of doctors that monitor their health all the time, or something like that. Yeah, and they treat their bodies like um, machines, basically. Yeah, because they have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent viewpoint, Helen. Um, how was your week? Uh, my week's been good. Um, so last week, uh, I had an opportunity to go to. The, the the theater play that I had the uh, pleasure of interviewing the director and the writer, and we were going to go together. Yes, but, but because I, you had I, I flu, so. Helen, because I was sick. <laughs> Sorry, Helen. So I had my friend Shin went with me on the night. So it was called Chain Play, presented by Slanted Theater, which is led by the amazing. Artistic director Tiffany Wan with two brand new short plays produced for the Sydney Fringe Festival. So the first, uh, it was two plays within an hour, and the first play was uh, called "Where There Is a Wheel, There's a Way." It's a rather humorous take on the wheel, you know, like a written wheel mm. um, left by this uh, for an aged care worker from an 
old Asian lady, it's uh-huh. almost like a very complicated outlook into people's perception about Bitcoin, NFT, greed, and family dynamics. You know, all those things. Mm. Like when people start to to talk about Bitcoin, I actually like my mind is turned off. Oh, totally. So I couldn't any, really any mention about <laughs> any mention about Bitcoin. I I, I literally just like t- my mind. Yeah. You know, you know that um, you know that meme where Homer Simpson, like he's being. Uh, he's having a conversation with Ned Landers, and Ned is talking to him about cider. How do you tell yeah, him between apple and cider and apple? A... Yeah, and then his brain just leaves his brain. Um, his brain just leaves there's his skull. That is literally monkey, what happens to there's a monkey playing the oh, toy yeah, the or monkey, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my brain literally leaves my skull whenever anyone talks about Bitcoin or anything to do with like NFTs. Yeah, so that first play, I didn't really feel resonate of it, but it's like the performance was was good. Um, However, the second one, which is called How Asian Are You? I like this one better. It really explores the idea of what is defined as Asian in the Western Mm. world and Mm. who is the gatekeeper who decides what entails as Asianness and to Mm. what degree we decide or we consider as um, exorcization of a race. Mm. I can really... I think that the second play was a bit more... Uh, it's funnier, I think. At the same right. time, it explores a lot of social complexities um, for Asian diasporas in the Western countries. Oh, cool! I yeah. think I would have liked that. Yeah, you yeah. would. It's it's set on the. It, it depicts a story of. It starts with a a, a girl talking to a counselor about her worries of a relationship because an Asian girl is like saying that, oh my boy, uh, this guy that I met at a club or somewhere. Uh, he was into me, like he specifically picked me out, out of all my friends, but I'm not mm. a good looking person. Like I'm not, mm. the differences between me and all of my other friends is that I'm Asian. And right. this boy, he's like a mix. So I'm not quite sure whether or not that he's fetishization of an Asian woman or because does he like, does he like me because of me or does he like me because I'm an Asian? Yeah, so I mean, that is literally this the question that has gone through every single Asian woman's <laughs> mind in Australia or anywhere in the East, uh, in the West, right? Yes, yeah. At least for those people who date, date white people, I guess. <laughs> you never really know. Mm, I'm feeling really yeah. excited about the perspectives of the Asian creators in the fields of, like, performing arts and theatre. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's ones like Slander Theatre that are really Doing going so to well. shift... Mm-hmm. the culture um, in a exactly. very dramatic and effective way because honestly I don't think I don't think like if you enter Sydney um, Theatre Company yeah STC or anything <laughs> like that I think you're you're in a way just pandering to the white people you're just yes. like telling stories that make them feel good or like yeah. you're educating them or it's like it's really not for Asian people mm-hmm. you know but you're not really telling the real story I think yeah you're telling the the sanitised whitewashed version of Asian stories or uh-huh. what a, what white people would find palatable about, you know, an, an, yeah. an Asian voice. Uh-huh. That's very true, yeah. So I have my friend Shin with me on the night and that was mm. actually her first experience of going to India indie theatre production mm-hmm. and a production by Asian Australians and she said it, it was beyond her expectation. She initially Brilliant. thought that it was going to be like a school sort of performance, but it was really good for her. She said yeah. that it was... Um, they, they're all done very expressive performance. 
I don't know how to explain it in English. Like all the all the actors were 很用力 <laughs> they're really putting、right. in their mind into a to、yeah. perform their characters. Yeah, it was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how about you?、Um, what have you been watching, reading? Well, last night, yeah, last night、um, we went to a、um, media screening of a new、uh, horror film, and you know how I usually feel about horror. I'm <laughs> not a fan. I'm not a fan. Um, yeah, before you gonna back, start, when we,、yeah. uh, when you call me, I was going to put my face so close onto the screen and give、yeah. you like a huge smile because I saw on the notes that you were going to about to talk about this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell well, us about it. That's a good thing、it. you didn't because、um, I'll, I'll tell you what. Last night after we came home,、uh-huh. I did that to my partner, and then he did it back to me, and I friggin' fucking freaked out, man. <laughs> after you watch Smile, and then you do that kind of particular. Smile to、mm-hmm. your friends、oh、my and God, family. So It, it's so freaky. It's very uncanny.、Mm-hmm. So、um, basically,、um, Smile is a movie,、uh, and the protagonist is the daughter of Kevin Bacon and、uh, Kira Sedgwick. Is that how you say her name? Oh, you didn't need the real life. Yeah, yeah.、She's、I like, didn't even know Kevin the, Bacon's. Yeah,、oh, okay, I was I like Kevin Bacon's daughter. Also, yeah. So I think her name、oh、is Boise Bacon, and she's a great actor.、Mm-hmm. Um, and Caitlin Stacey in this is also in this movie. She's the one whose face is on the movie posters you'll see around Sydney、mm-hmm. and around Australia.、Um, it's basically kind of like The Ring, but instead of the video, watching the video, it's like、um, the curse is passed on by someone who smiles at you yeah, in that very, I I very I uncanny the, way. I just watched the. Did you the watch the trailer? trailer? Yeah, the trailer is horrifyingly, horrifyingly、so、scary. And can I just say, because I saw the trailer, I knew when to not look at the screen.、Mm-hmm. And you know, I was in a media screening with like hundreds of people, and、mm-hmm. so like it's very embarrassing if you're covering your eyes, as <laughs> as as does what Jessie too normally does when she watches a horror film.、Mm-hmm. So I'm I basically, I just put、yeah. my, I'll just put my face near the screen for so Helen can see. This is what I was doing the whole night. <laughs> closing your eyes. Yeah, I was just closing my eyes. <laughs> And listening to the sound because I just cannot, I cannot bear、uh-huh. um, horror because、um, I have a very、uh, lucid imagination and like yeah, even last、same. night when I went to I bed、can't. I just imagined when I got up to go pee during the night I imagined just like this smiling some, face right some, next to you like Caitlin Stacy like、oh、yeah, smiling、God. at me in the kitchen so,、um, so basically、um, yeah. Uh, it's like someone you're cursed if someone smiles at you and then you end up killing yourself basically.、Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's、uh, it's like yeah, honestly it's the same same rhetoric as the ring, you know. That's like, so many different things, Helen. There's、oh, like the horror trope is just everywhere. Uh huh. Yeah, it makes you kill yourself, right?、Oh、like you know, in the last couple of years, we've had like a lot of horror films that like are based around sen- like the the perceptive senses that we have. Like、mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock starred in one. I think it was called. Birdcage or where, like, cage or birdcage or something like that. Blackbird, I think it was. Was it?、Some、yeah, where、bird. she has to blindfold. Yeah, where like you have to blind yourself, blindfold because if you see it, you'll kill yourself. Yeah. Um, other stuff like that. I wonder、um, if it's trying to reflect on certain things that's happening around human society, but it's also it's also very. I can't find the words for it. Every time that it, it, this kind of feeling gets to me, I couldn't find a word in English or in, in, even in Chinese word. It. it feels like it's on、um, reflecting on how we see mental health as well. As in, when you say the film is is about、uh, the horror, is that you 
the person eventually kills him themselves. Yeah. Like it's also I don't know whether or not it's reflecting on the ideas about suicide. Or, I think so. It, it yeah. does touch a lot about um, on the aspects of mental illness and PTSD and trauma mm. and schizophrenia, yeah. uh, psychosis. It's, yeah, psychosis. Yeah, the film yeah. because like the protagonist, she is um, her name is Rose, and she's a therapist. She's a she's a therapist, psychiatrist who mm-hmm. kind of works at a hospital and manages kind of psychotic patients or patients who are psychotic. Mm-hmm. And um, she... But, uh, what I haven't actually said to, to you, Helen, or the listeners, is that the people who do end up killing themselves, they have all suffered some sort of trauma in their past lives. Mm. And so, like, this is a little bit of a small spoiler, but you find out very early in the movie that um, the Rose, her mother actually had committed suicide mm-hmm. when she was a little girl, um, and she kind of has always blamed herself. And so, like, um, I think this movie is kind of trying to say, like, make it's kind of ha- trying to be some allegory to like trauma or like unresolved, um, to unresolved pain. Mm-hmm. Um, some allegory about, I guess, I guess that um, there was a lot of jump scares, mm-hmm. which. Um, which was like I, I didn't I knew when it was coming so I just had my eyes closed. Mm. Later, Andrew was asking me how did I know they were coming if I have never seen it. I was like, oh, you it's very obvious trailer. because yeah. no, I yeah I saw the trailer so I knew when the scary bits would. But also, um, uh, the music is very indicative of oh when my something. Goodness. Yeah, yeah they so have like to be like so um, whenever a jump scare is about to happen, um, the music dies down like completely. Oh, into silence yeah, and then you know, and then something yeah, yeah, yeah and then something horrible comes up on the screen so I just I literally had my eyes either closed the whole night or like squinted enough that my vision was just blurry <laughs> so I didn't see anything in focus <laughs> <laughs> but would you feel uh, the reactions of the other audiences? Oh, yeah, know? yeah. I just like, listen, people the, I listen to everyone. Like yeah, exactly. It was very funny listening to the other <laughs> audience members gasp. Yeah. I don't think I can go to the Dagger Hunter movie. No, I hate so, horror films, yeah, but I mean, that was me. fun. That was, yeah. that was fun, yeah. But I wonder how people with, you know, mental health, like traumas, PTSD... to this kind of movie you know you yeah. you're almost making like a some other people's tragedy into an entertainment oh that is literally you know what, what I mean? the whole world is based on helen <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i don't know it's, yeah it's that's a good point me. but yeah. also yeah um and i also watched uma uh yeah uh-huh. uma, you, uma 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 uh, which is uh the korean were for mother mum and uh it's starring sandra oh it's from a couple of years ago now and that's also kind of like a psychological oh, is it? horror film i thought it was like very recent film oh maybe it was released last year or yeah i think it's 2021 but anyway yeah. yeah it didn't get a lot of fanfare uh and you after you watch it you realize why it's not it's not a splendid film i have to say uh-huh. a lot of things are not resolved um. the writing is not very strong i mean it's still Watchable. It's definitely watchable. Um, mother daughter relationship. Sandra O. Yeah, yeah it's like a story Sandra of o. Sandra O and her daughter. She's a single mother raising her daughter in like the outskirts of who knows where, and they're like beekeepers. And then um, one day, uh, Sandra O's like uncle comes and brings her the ashes of her mother who had passed away in Korea, and she kind of has to. And then her mother haunts her, you know, in the afterlife. 
because she had um, she mm. had run away from her mum. You write you find out that her mum was kind of very abusive to her. Um, yeah, it's mm. it's it's really good. It's an, an, again, it's another trauma narrative. I have to say, trauma and yeah. horror. I think yeah. is like in, inextricably linked in Hollywood. Um, and for women, usually will be for yeah, women, for women, isn't it? yeah. I feel like um, in in the genre of horror, it's the only way in which like um, the public can come to terms with like the actual reality of what it means to be a woman in this world. You know, it is yes. like really ho- yeah. I, I know it's you like obviously it's a movie. It as a it's horror. heightened. Yeah, but but like yeah, it's like the only way in which the world can um, comprehend stories about women is often through like horror narratives um mm-hmm. and, and because I think, that's, yeah, that's, that's the reality of woman's life horror. yeah and, and like it's the only way that people can um it's the only way that people find it legible i guess mm-hmm. like this idea that of they could understand trauma and horror mm-hmm. in, a, in a woman's life yeah, yeah um it reminded I mean, me uh, it reminded yeah. me uh a trailer that I saw a little while ago. I think it's an A24 production uh-huh. where you see this woman walking down like a dark tunnel from her night out or something like that and she keeps looking back uh-huh. and you know how those kind of the montage that will suddenly have a man appear in front of her or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, the, the scene kind of creates the fear of being a single woman at night walking by herself <laughs> at the end of the trailer, the title mm-hmm. appears for the movie. It is called Men. It's oh, just called yeah, Men. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it's like a really um, famous movie from like earlier this year. I really wanted to see it. It's with Jesse Buckley. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it actually. Mm. But I think that's another trauma narrative. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and that, that trailer fucking sh- like scared the fuck out of me. That trailer is so well done. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't seen that movie yet. There are a lot of movies I haven't seen that I was supposed to see this year, like that Elvis Elvis movie oh, yeah. I really wanted to see and then now I've just like can't be bothered seeing um, just because I just I can't bear Austin Butler. He's kind of, he's kind of annoying <laughs> to me now. Um, and also another movie I really want to see that I probably will not end up seeing at the cinemas is Don't Worry Baby, which is like, um, sorry, Don't Worry Darling, which is Olivia Wilde's movie that I'm sure the entire planet oh, yeah. uh-huh. has so already heard so too much about. Around it. Yeah, just annoying yeah. now. It just anno- it's, it's annoyed me so much that I don't even want to see it. Um... Yeah, so let's move on to another form of art. I was going to say a better form of art, um, books, but no, I don't think I don't think books are better than movies. I, I'd say they're mm. the same for me. I love them both equally. Um, yeah, so this week I finished um, two couple of books. Yes, sorry, my, I'm in my I'm in my laundry, and my broom keeps falling off. Um, so I finished. Um, I was very eager and excited to he- read Victoria Hannah's second book, Marshmallow, mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't read the first book. Yes, I um, read the first book and it wasn't. How did really... you find it? It was okay. I, I it, yeah. I'm I'm not in the narratives. I don't really like to read the narratives that just talks about feelings too much. <laughs> like I prefer a bit more descriptives, which is very contrary right. to you because you prefer. I mean, Intimacy by Katie. 
Kira Mora was really good. The best book yeah, ever but, written, hands down. But I think no one, no other books that trying to write it like that has reached a certain, a similar level as Kira I have Mora, to say, yeah, um, yeah, I have to say I'm always startled by the difference in um, American writers and Australian mm. writers. And I have to say, they're the only kind of writers I read. I, I, I mainly read, like, American writers or Australian writers. Mm. Um, and, like, I, I read, like... like, English writers or English I know, I, writers. Well, I love Deborah Levy. Um, she's an English author. And I love Olivia Lang. There are plenty of English female writers that I love. Um, but I can't help but just think um, American writers and American literature is just, like, superior. I know I shouldn't think that. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, Marshmallow. Uh, Victoria. Yeah, Marshmallow. I mean, first of all, great title. It's just mm-hmm. such a great title. But uh, the story just revolves around like five thirty-somethings who are cu- overcoming the grief of uh, a two-year-old kid who had um, uh, died after choking on a marshmallow a year ago. Oh, which is like kind of okay. shocking, right? Uh-huh. And it's a yeah. very central trauma narrative. Yeah. Um, I felt like. Um, like I read this in two days, so like it's it's very very readable. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, I find I found bits of it like uh, a bit tedious, just because like I was like, oh, I don't know where this is going. Yeah, that's and like how I'm I just listening. Her, I'm just reading like feeling work. after feeling. Uh-huh. Like it was just, and the scenes didn't really go anywhere. It was just like anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it was just like a, a conversation with a friend about how they're grieving, and then like one of the characters um, goes on a date with a Taiwanese woman. And then okay. we never hear about that woman again. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, like, a, one of the characters... Yeah, and then one of the characters um, has a fight with his mum. And then, like, by the end of it, it's just like, oh, I don't know, it's just like... Um, it's just like 20, 250 pages of fear, um, kind of feelings about grief. And, mm-hmm. like, it was a good book. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, mm. But... Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and also I thought um, it would make a great series. Like, I could actually imagine it being an Australian television series. Because yeah, somehow you're... Aussies are just fucking obsessed with trauma, honestly. Uh, like, uh, uh, trauma narratives are everywhere. Like, um, just, just I mean, I can't think of any examples just because I, nev- I watch zero Australian television. But when you mentioned like that it's, I... a tr- it's an incident from, like, a birthday party, it reminded yeah. me of Le Slap. By... Oh yeah, that's what everyone's saying. Yeah. Oh, is it? Because yeah, yeah because like um, you you because it, with the you slap, have a family. You, yeah, you follow like seven different then, yeah, people and their yeah. perspectives. Uh-huh. So I I thought that was what Hannon was gonna do with her book, but she actually it's just like third person, so she uh. narrates every person's feelings mm. and their perspective, but she never takes a first person, um, perspective mm-hmm. on each character. It's just like third person narration. But, like, um, about trauma, I mean, the last Australian series I watched was Love Me, which is on Binge, which was huge, I think, when it came out a few years ago. Um, do you know much about it, Helen? No, I hardly watch any okay, Australian yeah, dramas. I, I watch know, lifestyle shows, but that's about it. Lifestyle shows? Like what, yeah. Better Homes and Gardens? No, not Better Homes and Gardens. Um, like cooking shows on SBS and ABC. Oh, right. Those so I don't really have to follow the story. I just yeah. know, watch it without yeah. using much brain cells. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, so Love Me um, basically is like, a, I think it was six or seven. It's a limited series. It was like mm. six or seven episodes. I think one episode was about 50 minutes or maybe an up to an hour. Mm-hmm. And it followed the story of a family who had just lost the mo- the maternal figure. So um, Hugo Weaving is the dad and then he has uh-huh. two kids. Uh-huh. And the and the mother figure, um, she has like, uh, wh- she had an accident a few years ago. So she's like wheelchair bound and she's... In the first episode, this is not a spoiler. She dies, mm. and then it's and then he ends up going to um, a holiday. There he was about to take with his wife. Um, he goes alone and then meets um, a woman there, and then they, they fall in love. And you know he <laughs> okay. starts having sex with her immediate, almost immediately. Um, and then also the the two kids. So like one of them is a thirty eight year old anesthetist who's like so beautiful that you just can't believe that she's single. But she's a bit neurotic, so mm-hmm. like she's a bit kind of like I shouldn't say neurotic because I'm pathologizing her sort of inappropriate way. But anyway, she's just like really I find her very likable. So I, I like her her predicament of being single is a bit was a bit unbelievable. But anyway, mm. so in the first episode or the second, she meets this hot dude who we find out like um, has a kid, and she's like shocked that he didn't tell her. To be honest, I was like, big deal. Um, but and then also the son. There's a young son who's like in his early 20s who like is in love with this um, girlfriend who's a, like a DJ. Mm-hmm. And she's a woman of color. She's like dark skin. She's a brown woman. Mm-hmm. And she um, ends up being like um, pretty and awful. And I kind of came away from the series. Like I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the series. And I really enjoy Aussie television. But like mm-hmm. I... I didn't, I kind of, it left a sour taste in my mouth in re, just in regards to um, the characterization of the only woman of color in the, in the oh, only person of color okay. the in the series is like a freaking bitch. Yeah. She's awful. Like she's like, mm-hmm. um, she doesn't even care about, like the way he, she treats this like, young boy uh-huh. is so like awful that I'm like, ugh, I don't know. Like, like why do they have uh, to scripted like that for this yeah character. exactly like oh, in the in the same yeah. way that um often people will tell me you know they love the white lotus often it's a white person who says that <laughs> and then i always like um i'm always like i counter it by saying yeah it's a, it was good television like it, obviously it was well written but like i just i didn't i didn't again i didn't like that the only person of color um uh, uh, not not the only person of color the only ma- person the only male man of color mm-hmm. who is like one of the service people at the resort he um ends up being like a criminal Mm. like he steals something from one of the people the white people's um rooms and like i don't know it's just like i feel very uncomfortable when these shows um include a person of color but then the way that they write these mm-hmm. people of color mm-hmm. is like in a, such an insidious way. Yeah, it's just it's just so yeah. insidious and it doesn't like sit right I, with me either. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sit right with me, and you know, I just I just every time I see this, I'm just like, obviously, um, a team of white people wrote this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it just it didn't make me. They happy have to that, give the yeah. villain character to a person the, to of a person color. of color. Yeah, yeah, it's like what the hell? I don't I don't get it. I really don't get it. Like what what is it with white people that they just really have to. Um, they can't bear the fact that they, they can, you know, they can write a white villain character. They have to. Are uh, they thinking that? Oh yeah, we're gonna have a person of color in our production, but we're gonna give them a the, terrible yeah, character. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, don't they know that people watch this and like um, and don't they know that stories are what build our beliefs? You know yeah. what I mean? 
Like that's where stereotypes come from. God. It's it's written for a white audience again. Yeah, totally. You know, it's yeah. it's what I always say that movies and dramas you kind of perpetuate a, a certain narratives that the writer is trying to present for people to perceive, but in the very subtle ways that most people wouldn't think about it. Like for example, what we just picked up. You know, the people of colour being um, cast as a villain character. Mm. Um, I feel like it's always been like that. Or being cast as a funny side character. It it became a kind of like a stereotype for a lot of people of colour to be involved in a certain production. But they are typical characters for them to portray. As in, they will never get the lead characters because it's usually a white person to take yeah. on that role. Yeah. And it's usually, it won't be a, a heroic character again. You know, it's usually yeah. will be a very marginalized, peripheral Yeah, character. basically we're just never humanized. And like, um, yeah. I kind of, when you think about the metrics of Hollywood, it makes sense because most of the people who go to these films, well, like, the Hollywood studios, they're made up of white people who are serving white people who are only thinking yes. about the white audience. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they're going to put a white lead because it needs to be, quote, unquote, relatable, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, never thinking that, you know, never thinking that we have to ever... Like, as in, you know, people of colour, we know that we have never had the luxury of this thing called, like, only relating to people who look like you you know mm-hmm. like the first person i saw who looked like me on, on tv was lucy Liu in charlie's angels yeah but know? then even with that character now think of it like years decade i don't know decades it's like decades 20 later. years yeah, yeah 20 years later it's a character that's been highly sexualized she, oh you yeah, know? yeah 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 totally there's a it paints over a certain traits as an asian woman for everyone to see in uh, you know, in the Western countries, I think. Yeah. yeah. I just mean, like, we have, we are, we are, it's assumed that we will relate to people who don't look like us, whereas, like, mm. for white people, they have never been asked to relate to a black gay person, you know, mm. for instance. Yeah. That's not asked of them. It's like, yeah, just their imagination has not been forced to stretch that far compared to, you know, people who look like us. Any any other things? Uh, what about you, Helen, the books you're reading? Oh, um, before I go on to the books that I'm reading, yeah. um, I want to mention a great movie that I watched last week by myself while my husband was out going to the kids' concert because I have to stay home and look after the dogs. Um, so the movie is called Passing. Uh, it's a Netflix film directed by Rebecca Hall that I wanted to watch for a long time but didn't have the time to watch. So it's based on a 1920s novel with the same title written by Nella Larson. It depicts the story of two uh, black women with skin color light enough to pass as white people. So Irene, the character who was married to a black do- doctor and lives in Harlem, ran into her childhood friend Claire one day and found out Claire was living a, living a life as a white woman and hided her um, black identity and married a white man who detests mm. black people. So the scene where um, Irene found out that she married, her friend married a white man and the husband was saying how much that he 
he's not only dislike black people, he hates them. <sighs> and it was just so revolting. And of mm. course, you wouldn't see that kind of interaction nowadays. But obviously, this is based on the 1920s novel. But it was just so com- confronted to her. She was very shocked. But um, she questioned her friend as in the reason that why you pass as a white woman. And her mm. friend says that, you know, all the benefits I can get yeah. compared to being a black woman, it's enormous. Yeah. But then the movie moves on, really sets on the narratives of how both women are unhappy about their lives, um, how they gradually, like, for example, the Claire, the woman who was passing as a white, uh, gradually move, trying to move closer back to her black community to uh-huh. regain some sort of, like, the sense of identity. And Irene becoming, like, increasingly jealous of her friend's um, presence around her family and her friend uh, her friend circles. So the movie was shot in black and white. So I wonder if it's, like, an intention of the director to either highlight or insinuate the skin colour racial segregation in the 1920s. So yeah. how do you tell... Can you tell very obviously... The different shades of skin tone between you the can't sisters? tell the skin tone because the you can't yeah but okay. you can tell from the features you know the African American don't they look similar aren't they played by the same actor um, no they're played by different actors so oh, Irene and Claire okay. they're played by different different actors oh, right, okay yeah okay. and um, gotcha the, I think the movie is very beautiful it's very very impressive that the presentation of the 1920s New York can be done so nice and especially when you see the high social life. Even mm. without the colors, you can kind of yeah. feel like you're immersed into that surrounding. Yeah. And the music was very well done too, with a bit of jazz tone. Yeah. And obviously, the performance of um, what's the name? Tess Thompson, who played yeah. Irene, and Ruth Negar, who played um, Claire, was just extraordinary, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah they do look alike, I guess. Yeah, they do look They're alike. They're both very beautiful. Very beautiful, yeah. I but feel like, yeah, I feel like Ruth is a bit more like... Is she the one who plays Claire? Yeah, she's the one yeah, who Yeah, she looks a bit more white. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. with the blonde, you can tell with the blonde hair, even within yeah. the black and white movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, just certain qualities and the speech pattern, you can pick up, you can tell that it's like 1920s. It's very poignant and melancholy. And at the end, I don't want to spoil it, so I, I really urge everyone to go and watch it because there's a kind of a calamity build up towards the at the end of the movie. There's a mm, tragedy. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So have you ever thought about the issues of surrounding passing? Like. Yeah, of think, course. Um, I guess. The I think there was a. Was this based on a book? Yeah, it's based on a book. Yeah. 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 I mean, we always know that skin colour benefits or disadvantage you know individuals yeah colourism yeah there's colourism but I think nowadays there's a bit more with wealth I think wealth might play a big part of how one yeah. is perceived in life as well yeah totally yeah yeah. Pa- it's easier to pass it's it's. E- I guess uh, um, it's not I was going to say it's easier to pass if you have a lot of money but what I mean what I mean is that um Race, race is not too. I feel like race and color is harder to to change um, compared with like, um, as in like it's it's more obvious, 
and you can't really deceive people compared to like wealth like um if i mm. like if i say like carry everything that i wear on my body is like um a hermes from hermes you know or chanel i don't know what i'm trying to say um do you I think, think if I'm trying it's to like say, if even if you like put on all those luxury brands on yourself, I'm still an Asian. You, I can't change. Yeah, yeah. I can't, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, um, I, unfortunately, because we're Asian, we can't pass as anything other than Asian. Mm. You know, like yeah. I, I, I remember thinking when I was in my teens, I remember thinking if I dyed my hair brown, I might pass as a um, mixed race person, and because I always thought mixed race people were very attractive, and they are. There's something about the combination of Asian and white people's genes that make make the kids like really good looking for some reason. But I remember thinking I could pass it. But like you know, as BS, there's no way I could ever change my face without plastic surgery, without any kind of surgery to make myself look any other race. But like with um, say an Indian face or like a black person's face, um, like if you have a light shade of skin tone, like if you have a fairer skin tone, I feel like you're, you might have a possibility to pass just because um, their nose shape is different. Like the facial structure of South South Asians and Black people, mm. like um, their nose and their facial structure is more akin to white people, like more akin to an Anglo face. Whereas like mm. with Asian features, like we have a flatter nose, like the bridge of our nose is flat. Um, uh, like our, our face it's tends to be just flat up. Yeah, so we can't really pass. Yeah. Yeah, but I do. I do know there are a lot of East Asian girls. This is like in Taiwan. They pass. They're trying to pass as a mixed person. Oh yeah. Um, By getting surgery in, on their nose. Uh, putting like wearing the colored contact lens. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. There are people like that, oh, and weird. just okay, having a wider that. tone of their foundation or makeup. You know. Mm, okay. And then again, right. you know, the technique of your, the skills of your makeup would really determine how your face look as well. You know, nowadays mm. people have those crazy type of skills to make their face. Yeah, contouring. Look. Yeah, contouring exactly. I've tried it, and it's just yeah. I, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm still left with my friggin' flat face. I'm like, I've given up. I'm like, I can't. I can't. We just be we just come to accept our face. And it's fine. I know. Um, it's 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 traumatic to watch. In the mirror every morning, but you know, I'm like I've got like my. That. I'm like I'm like oh I've got my brain going for me. I better just stick to you know, <laughs> building up my brain. Yeah, that's more important. Um, speaking of books, before we have a quick break, um, I finished reading Shoko Smile, which is by oh yes, a Korean prominent female writer Cho Yung Young. Um, uh, it's translated by Son Yo. Um, it's seven, I believe, it was seven short stories that mm-hmm. that were finally published after years of rejection. That this is the words from the writer. Um, so the stories focus on female friendships, mental health struggles in communication about love, and the final two short stories were about two probationary teachers' relationship with their mother and grandmother. It was written as a first person um, in the viewpoint of the mother and the grandmother. Mm. Uh, recalling their love for their daughter and granddaughter it's only it's one of those stories that only when you read the notes from the translator and you go yeah. back to the story you realize the purpose of those stories it was what do you um, mean? written for the uh, for two probational teachers who were victims of a 
ferry accident. I don't know if you remember South um, no, South Korea. Me. It was a couple of years ago, yeah. close to ten years ago, that there was a ferry accident, and there was like hundred close Hundreds to hundred people, people died. died. Yeah, and the yeah, government was trying to cover up. Cover it up, really? Yeah. Shit. And apparently there were two probation because on that day there was a lot of school excursions. Right, right. And there were two probational teachers, um, because they were still on probational terms. They never got like a proper compensation for their family. Mm -hmm. So the stories was like um, when you read it, you get to it's one of those stories that you get to a paragraph and you recognize that. The writer is writing a person who is dead, but trying to remember the person as if she was alive, but only far no. away. And no. It's so heart wrenching. I cried God. reading the final two, God. final two stories because it was so well written. I think this is one oh. of the uh, very similar sentiment that I think um, Katie Kitamura would use when right, writing right. about feelings. Yeah. Uh, Wow, that's horrible. That's so awful. Yeah, so I'm just looking it up on Google now. It's um, 300 people died. Oh, my God. How fucked up is that? Yeah. It's got the sinking of the MV well. Uh-huh. And it occurred on the morning of Wednesday, April 16, 2014. Yeah, that's close to 10 years. Eight, eight years. Eight years. Yeah, eight years ago. Yeah. Wow, that's so shocking. Yeah. But the way that... I'm so amazed with writers who can write in such... It's not so much as in very um, heart-wrenching expressiveness, but with a paragraph where you approach to and you realise what the protagonist is talking about. Right. And you just really squeeze your heart because you realise that moment that the protagonist is talking about someone who's died, but not realising, like whatever that was built on towards the end of the story is always uh, talking about that person is alive, alive, alive. Right, right, then, right. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Can I read that bit? Yeah, 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 of you, course, yeah. Can you give it... Tomorrow, yeah. well, I'll see you tomorrow, and I? Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. So what, can you tell me what the... Um, what, which, can you, like, tell me the actual story? Because I only want to read that story. Oh, it's the final two stories. The, oh, okay. Um, Michaela and The Secret... Yeah, those are wow. the two final stories. And I guess I should give you the um, the clean marriage one. Oh, yes. <laughs> life ceremony, because I've basically finished that. Yeah. Okay, um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll chat to you guys about our news items for this week. Hey, guys, so we're back. Um, I usually don't read a lot of opinion pieces uh especially opinion pieces by dudes especially Mm. dudes that look like tom hardy (laughs) um but this is related i mentioned tom hardy for a reason uh about a week ago i sent this i sent this uh article to helen Mm. with a lot of thoughts and i'm going to talk to you guys about it now on the podcast so it's a it's a it's a it's an article in the guardian um and the title of this article is Tom Hardy, Brad Pitt, and the quiet art of the successful celebrity <laughs> side career. And uh, the moment you, uh, like, basically I read it, right, and then I was like, by the end, uh, I'll tell you what's in it. Uh, it basically, it's an article about how Tom Hardy had um, had won a sort of very small regional competition 
um, in the UK for jujitsu. Yeah. And 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 um, he didn't make a hoo ha about it. Um, and then also about Tom about uh, Brad Pitt entering his uh, artwork in some sort of Finnish art yeah. exhibition or something. <laughs> yes. And then also again no hoo ha around it. And so and then by the end of and it's just like the it's sort of like the tone of it was kind of like a straight white guy uh, sort of praising the 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 me the sort of bland. Uh, achievements of another straight white dude and by the end of the article I went up and I was like okay I bet I swear on my life this article was written by a guy and it was and the guy <laughs> his name is Stuart Heritage and he looks just like Tom Hardy like literally his face just he just looks he looks just like Tom Hardy and um the reason why I was bothered by this article was that towards the end it kind of made fun of um, women who female celebrities who like have had things outside of their acting career so like they you know selena gomez um i can you know um name off a, a billion like jessica alba um gwyneth paltrow all these celebrities who have managed to like create another life for themselves making oh, money miranda kerr by, you know yeah, miranda kerr. yeah, yeah, yeah most of these women create companies based on their looks i guess as yes. in like they promote um, some sort of skin Aesthetic wellness, aesthetically prone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's always based. Their fashion. commerce comes from like looking better, right? Yeah. And so, like uh, this, uh, this journalist was kind of like dissing people who do that, um. and then kind of praising how Tom Hardy and Brad Pitt. They, well, I don't remember what his line was in the article, but it was like, oh, this is the real way that real artists do it. They do it humbly and quietly <laughs> and without telling anyone about it, you know. And I was like. Well, he's I, writing like, an article about it. How would not? How would anyone not know about it? It's just kind of hypocrite of him saying. Well, that, he's you know? praising something that's yeah, yeah. but um, now everyone knows. But yeah, yeah, but like um, I mean, mind you, he doesn't only attack women. He also attacks like uh, I think there was another male. Uh, oh, Jim Jim Broadbent. He also kind of criticised apparently taking like he says uh, Jim Broadbent possibly regrets his decision to take his hobby public in 2015. What do you do? Um, oh, it says, uh, this is because his hobby, hobby involves crudely carving life-size human beings out of wood, then dressing them and putting them in wigs. Okay, so he's making, um, like, mannequins. Yeah, I guess. But, like, I, I guess I just had a little... I had a little problem with the tone of this article because it yeah. didn't wasn't overtly sexist, but it, it kind of had sexist undertones in that... He, it was an article. It's judging on people's choices of what they do. Yeah, exactly. And and I was thinking, this guy obviously doesn't know what it means to be a woman, Mm. because if you're a woman and you bank on your ability to like make money based on your looks, Mm. um, I mean, who can who can blame anyone else for doing that? You know, like because that's how the society is. Yeah, like don't don't blame Gwyneth Paltrow just because she's managed to, you know, find her. Find a, a niche to like exploit the um, you know, beauty anxieties. Yeah, for like millions of people, women around the world. Like, like I think she's like really smart. Like, um, I don't agree with a lot of these like beauty products. Obviously, I don't buy them myself because I can't afford it, or I choose Those not to because yeah, vagina crystals or whatever. But like, it's it's just it was it was like very subtly sexist in my opinion. Mm. Because it criticised the decisions that women made based on just, like, the choices that they have for them. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, and, and it's like um, Tom Hardy, it's not like Tom Hardy's going to come out and, you know, like, it's, it's, I don't like it when, like, um, men are praised for everything that they do, including what they don't do. So just because, like, Tom Hardy decided not to tweet about or, like, put a photo of himself winning the tournament mm-hmm. up on Instagram, it's like, ooh, let's applaud him because of his humbleness. Mm. It's like... I think it's like a, almost like it's a marketing strategy for Tom Hardy. Yeah, because it's, it's a like strategy. no matter what he does, yeah. he's going to be praised. Yes, you know? yeah. That's what I had the problem with. I think. Yeah, I think it's a strategy for those male celebrities who doesn't talk about it. Eventually, someone will be talking about it. They don't need to talk about it themselves. You know, and, you know? Yeah, and it's almost like a little of a bit of a flex because, like, yes. um, Tom Hardy knows that he will, he will, his his win will be picked up. You know what I mean? He didn't need to broadcast it because he's so famous that he knew that someone in the world was going to pick it up. It's kind of of almost like, I know you haven't seen the series Curb Your Enthusiasm, but it's like my (laughs) partner, um, it's one of my partner's favourite and, you know, a lot of my favourite people love it. Billy, Billy is one of Billy's favourite shows. And like, um, we're watching, I'm watching it through with my partner at the moment and I think it was in season four or five where like one of the episodes is... um, Ted Danson and uh, Larry David, they they are um, decide to donate to a museum somewhere in LA, mm-hmm. and then Larry David is very proud that he has a wall named after him, and then like Ted Danson has actually decided to, um, not put his name on the wall and instead use the word like use the word anonymous. Uh-huh. So he's like, and then people are praising him because. He's like, um, oh, I, I, I'm not so egotistical that I need my name on uh, it. Yeah. But, uh, however, he has told people. He has told yeah. a few people, and so it spreads, you know. Uh-huh. And so Larry's like, well, if you wanted to be anonymous, you should have you just been 100% yeah, you, honest. You, you, you shouldn't have told about people. It. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, like jer- it's like masturbating to your own apparent humility. Yeah. But obviously, if you were really, hum- hu- if you were really you humble, cared. you wouldn't have, t- yeah, you you wouldn't have told cared. anyone yeah. at all. But because he told someone, like just one person, it means like, he, he still cares. He wants people to, to know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. It reminds so me like of it's... that that uh, debacle about the writers. Do you remember last year we were talking about it, about a writer who wrote about, pup, like, trying to tell everyone in her own group about how she donated a kidney and then the right, another writer picked up. Yes. Oh, my oh, God, that's God, such that a messy insane. chaos. That, that... <laughs> oh, and it was between a, um, uh, an Asian a, writer or yes. a mixed race writer and a white woman. Uh, well, yes. What was yeah. this? Uh, it was like the art problem. The art... The bad the art arts or something. Yeah, it was the art <laughs> It was monster. such a big thing last that, year. That, oh, my God. I cannot believe you brought that up, Helen, because I have to say that was literally one of those things that, like, come like storms uh-huh. and then completely just everyone forgets, forgets about it the about next it. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I literally so have forgotten the name of it. the woman. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. the name of both writers, but I remember the incident. It was so big yeah. in our industry in US. Yeah. it is, And I have to say, a lot of people, it's like... um very disingenuous when you you present yourself as someone who doesn't care about you know care mm-hmm. about being praised for something you did and yet you still manage to you still manage to disclose it to someone mm-hmm. meaning there is part, some part of you that wanted to be praised for it yeah. you know what I mean I wonder if that's like a the hum, human traits like you, you it needs to be known you know it's almost like what we do on social media like um, there's a bit of us even a tiny bit that we're trying to let other people know that we're doing something worthy in the life or we're trying to show off. Yeah. Or you downplay it, yeah. you know, like um, 
I feel like young people these days, like it's this thing that I often think about and I really hate. It's when people kind of pretend that they're not ambitious. Mm-hmm. I hate that so much. Like I, I, I actually really like people who just come out and say, you know, I want to rule the world. I want to win a million, you know, gold medals. Like I, I, f- I, I prefer people who are like very unapologetic and genuine and just mm-hmm. transparent about their um about about their like um about their ambitions and goals. Like ha- I hate it when people are like they win a huge award and they're like, oh, I never expected this to happen to me. I didn't really try. I just like <laughs> I just did it and you know look where I am at the top of the world. It's like it's so disingenuous and I hate it and I think it's a very generational thing. Mm. And, um, like, I just – it kind of reminds, reminds me when I was in high school, um, there was a guy who hadn't come out as gay. He was an Asian dude who was very smart. And I remember, like, one time we were in year 12 and we were all, like, sitting around in this, like, group situation and we all had to – you know, we were, we were saying what we would like to do with our lives. And he said that um, everyone kind of had basic ambitions like um, – I want to go to uni to study something <laughs> or whatever, travel to Europe or whatever. And this guy comes out and says, um, I would, I want to, I'm going to cure cancer. And just like oh, the rea- reaction from everyone God. around the room was just like, you're, you're like, you're so embarrassing. Everyone yeah. was kind of cringed in mm-hmm. themselves for him. Yeah. And I was just like, who cares? Like, good for you. Like, I, I like yeah. people who are kind of very... Um, unapologetic about their big ambitions. That means that he's and confident I, enough as well. That's that's something that, especially coming from from an Asian person, that's very rare. I think. Yeah. Because usually we'll be taught to be humble, like oh, don't don't make it yeah, so big like, about yourself and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, um, that's amazing. I hate it when when you pretend that you haven't worked hard for mm. something. And what happened to that friend? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I was hoping that you would be saying that. Oh, he's working in a research or some big medical project. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He's possibly doing that now. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what's your. What's 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 your piece of uh, news item that you want to rant about this week? Oh, I don't have any news items that I want to rant about this week. I think that's pretty much enough for us to talk about. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. I guess white yeah. Final thoughts. Another another uh, white Yeah, man. and like just um, patting themselves on the yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I mean yeah, it just um, I, I would love for Renaissance to read the article mm-hmm. by Stuart Heritage. Heritage. <laughs> let us know what you think. Yeah, and let us know what you think because I'm curious. <laughs> I'm very curious. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple and give us a five star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Bridges Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Stay safe. Bye.